Gentlemen, start your engines. This is going to be a mighty emotional occasion for a lot of people, not the least of whom is myself. In a race to remember. But this is absolutely gobsmacking. He hasn't even hit the brake yet. It's gone crazy at the top of the hill. What an off-the-scale car race. G'day, I'm Dan Hollihan. Welcome to my motorsports podcast, On the Couch with Hawley. Brought to you by Sweet Black, creating success with people. On today's podcast, we've got Caitlin Wood. Caitlin has an impressive career as a race car driver spanning over 10 years. Having recently competed in the W Series, Caitlin is now an endurance driver and aiming to compete in the Le Mans 24-hour race. Caitlin is currently located in the UK with her husband, and I was fortunate enough to have her on the podcast this week via Zoom. Let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast, Caitlin. How are you this morning? Um, I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good, good. So what have you been up to this week? Oh, this week? Yeah. Uh, it's been busy. Um, I've just been working. So I work as like a race instructor at all the circuits in the UK and sometimes Europe. Um, yeah, so I, I'm self-employed. So still work for myself, but you work for other companies and circuits and everything like that, jumping in and out of cars, race cars. Yeah, sort of keeping people somewhat safe on the racetrack. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's, your, what's your most closest track to yourself? Um, it's actually Donington Park. Yeah, okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. So where are, you, where are you living in the UK? So that was actually my original first question. Where are you living in the UK and what's it like, you know, living in that side of the hemisphere and, you know, getting used to it apart from being in Australia? Yeah, so I'm based in like the middle of the country. Uh, it's like a little village called Lutterworth. Um, yep. For anyone that knows the UK, it's like straight off the M1, um, quite, yeah, quite <laughs> central in the middle um, from everything. I'm about two hours north of London. It's different, obviously. Like, the culture is very similar in regards to Aussies and British people, I find. So it was really, I think, a lot easier for me to integrate myself into a work environment and grab some mates, everything like that, living here than it was for me to live in Germany. I think, obviously, language barriers and stuff like that as well. But, um, yeah, obviously, there's still like the pub culture and everything that we have in, in Australia. So that's really, really big over here. The the, the main thing is, is really the weather. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the hard bit, <laughs> to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, if it was um, if it was weather like Australia and beaches like Australia, then, you know, I, I'd be right at home. But yeah, I think I think that's the hard bit. <laughs> yeah. Do you miss did you miss coming going back there or did you, did you prefer like staying in Australia for your like your holiday back here? Because as we were like talking to try and get you on the podcast, do you miss like the beaches and whatnot? Yeah, I miss home a lot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, um, it, it is what it is. You know, you want to obviously I have a goal and I have like a passion and, you know, mm. I want to do motorsport the best I can and, you know, mm. be the best athlete, the best driver I can be. And right now that sort of puts me here, which mm. is fine. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it has, I think, I think the older I've gotten, even though I'm not old, the harder it's actually gotten, you know, when you're young and you're like, oh yeah, like it's fine, yeah. mum and dad, I'll see you next year. It's fine, <laughs> I'll see you next year. And yeah. now I'm like, oh God. <laughs> and I think with the whole COVID stuff, I, you know, I genuinely didn't see my my mum and dad or my family for two years. And mm. that was, um, yeah, that was really hard. Two years is a really long time. And uh 
you know, it's just opened my eyes to, you know, I want to spend more time back home in Australia. So, um, yeah, I'd be trying to do more of that in the next couple of years. Yeah. So you, we obviously grew up around the same area in go-karts and you loved your go-karting days. And I, I remember your brother, Dan. So you guys were, he was first into karts. And then how did that all happen for you? Yeah, he was first into karts. And then, uh, you know, I was just like younger, younger sister who wanted to give it a go. And yeah, dad was really supportive, as you know. And uh, we just, I don't, you know, none of us expected us, me to still be involved, you know, however many years on later now. But um, yeah, dad just got me my go-kart and we went and we had fun and, you know, met loads of people and, and traveled up and down Australia to do it. And yeah, as I've said in loads of interviews, it was, yeah, probably like really special memories that I'm so glad that we have together. Yeah. Do you remember your first go-kart that you drove, like the particular chassis or anything like that? I'm pretty sure it was an arrow. <laughs> <laughs> the typical arrow go-kart. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I have a, I swear it was, or it was a red speed. It was one or the other. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I was in uh, Rookies, I had yeah. a red speed. Um, yeah. And then as soon as I went into juniors, we were Tony Kart and Spree, all that sort of stuff. Because yeah. um, they were like the lighter chassis. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Was your go-kart number, was it 24 or was it a different one? I can't confuse because you've gone through so many car numbers that it's, that it's lost my memory. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, my go-kart number was 20. Um, oh, okay. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah my, you're close. My yeah. number is, is 20. And that's like, yeah, my number I've taken through motorsport as best I can you know what championships are like if you if your number's taken or that they're, they're not running you know they're running three three numbers instead of one number or two numbers it's um yeah it's hard to get all the time but yeah I actually I enjoy, enjoy what it's like you have your number and you want to rate it all the time yeah so as you were saying you you, you I was close to the number in 20 24 and 20 um <laughs> did you well after that did you hop into the just the the junior ranks and the junior lights or did, did you go into clubman for you because you're more you from memory you're more of a club racer than a like you didn't i went to cok and you preferred i think you stayed in the club ranks and state titles is that correct yeah more or less we definitely did a load of clubby and we did loads of junior rotax so we did um yeah, the Rotax Max Challenge instead of CIK. You know, I would have loved to have gone to CIK. But um, it just seemed for, like, the amount of um, carts and everything we were getting in Rotax, it just sort of seemed better for me with experience-wise just to sort of, like Dad said, throw me in the pack and see what happens. So Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, do, was there anyone in the go-kart ranks that you looked up to? So, for me, myself, I looked up to Christian Limbaum and Josh Scott, who was obviously a local in Newcastle Kart Club. Did you have anyone that you aspired to be in the go-kart ranks or just beat at that stage? Well, that's a really good question, actually. Yeah, I guess I came up around, you know, the likes of Joey Mawson and Tom Randall and all those boys. As you know, I sort of just keep myself to myself and I was very like, you know, I just did my own thing. Obviously, there's drivers that I look up to and I respected and I wanted to get results similar to, to them. But I think probably in my karting years, the main person I did look up to was my brother, um, if I'm honest. Yeah, just because his previous experience and it's like you know it's that relationship isn't it that you have and that person sort of just helping you progress yeah what's dan doing now uh he's just um engineering um so he's just got an engineering job yeah he's not really involved in motorsport too much anymore he's just doing his own thing you know have, has a family all that sort of stuff now 
Yeah. Did he ever? Did he ever want to go down the route? Like, because obviously, I remember you contacting me ages to go to be with Rider Engineering. Did he ever contact you to be involved in car racing, or he just wanted to just do the regular engineering route? Uh, yeah, no. He obviously did Formula Ford and everything after karting, and then uh, he did an engineering degree and everything alongside. So he worked um, in supercars for a while as an engineer. Yeah, and then he stepped away from motorsport. Yeah. Now, you, we, we're bringing into Formula Ford, and that's obviously where we made our connection mainly um, in Formula Ford. So you started with your brother's Spirit Formula Ford. How was that in your first year before going to like a full professional team in Synergy Motorsport? What was the difference between the chassis and whatnot? Because you're a huge fan of Formula Ford, as you've said in yeah, other media. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, you know, it's, it was like... You know, from a young kid, you've gone from a go-kart, which was mega, you know, road tags and something that you thought was fast. And then yeah. you jump in a race car and you're like, oh, wow, this is cool because it's like a bigger version and, and everything like that. It's just all bigger scaled, isn't it? So yeah. Formula Ford is really cool in the way that it teaches you all the fundamentals. Like you haven't really got anywhere to hide, do you? You know, you haven't got wings and sleeks. You haven't got, you know, mm. over, underpowered, overgripped car. If anything, you know, you move around a lot and, yeah, it definitely teaches you those things. So for me, driving the Spirit, like, it was great. It was, um, you know, amazing step because it was a race car. It was something that I could, um, you know, look, something that I could, could progress with in, in my career and running it with my dad and, and and my brother and stuff, like, that was really nice. But ultimately, yeah, it was quite old in comparison to the other Duratech chassis and cars that we were then competing against. So, you know, it did its job and it definitely helped me take that step into car racing and get the experience underneath my belt, do all the testing, um, you know, see how we sort of compare. And then, you know, and then when we felt I was ready to then go into a team so that we weren't, not that you ever waste money with the team, but, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's next step, it's more budget. So we wanted to go in with like the best experience that we could to make the most out of that opportunity and running in a good Jurotech car and running with a good team. Mm. Did you get any help with Tim Beale with the, with the Spirit chassis or not before you moved to Synergy? Or was that just all just a family combined stuff, as you said before, with you and your brother and your dad? Yeah, Tim was really helpful with um, Luke because Luke ran with Tim when they originally ran the Spirit. And then, yeah, more, more or less, like if we had any major issues, like because Luke and Tim would obviously chat and and dad and Tim and stuff like that. So, yeah, definitely he would help out. But trackside support and everything like that, we, dad and I and all of us just did it, just did it ourselves. So th that was really great for me to learn. You know, I had to be hands on. I didn't have a choice. So, um, you know, I think dad really wanted me to do that and sort of value the amount of work and effort and everything that it takes to, to do something like this before I then started to just progress through teams or something like that. Do you remember like an ultimate part for you as a family team, like your best result for make to make you go on to Synergy? Do you remember anything like that? Like any memories? Yeah, it was it was just a test day. Um, yeah, it okay. wasn't like a particular race because uh, we were just doing state state championships, like New South Wales and Vic State with it. Yeah, and we were doing yeah we were doing a test day, and we you know we got the car quite competitive, and we were you know we were in like the top the top five or six of the Jurotex. I think dad was like, okay, you know, what can we do now? Like, how do we make it better? And I'm like, I don't really know. I just feel like I'm lacking a bit of this. I'm feeling I'm lacking a little bit of that. And yeah. um, Was this at Wakefield was, Park? Was yeah. That, yeah. <laughs> the good old teaching track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. 
yeah so no it, it did its job and it was it was really great I'm really thankful for that experience to 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 do it with with that and everything um again you know it's it's a special way to get started I don't think many people can sort of say they ran a mini race team whatever you want to call us it literally was yeah. just us um so yeah it, it taught me a lot yeah and then going into synergy motorsport that was your national series year um how did, was that overwhelming for you at any point or did you just put your head down and just forget about everyone else as you said in your go-karting days yeah i think it was a bit of both because for me it was a very new environment i'd obviously however many years i've been doing motorsport had always been with my family um mm. so to sort of Put that trust in someone else i found really hard to begin with but i knew that if i wanted to be a professional in motorsport or if this is what i wanted to do like i'd have i have to get used to it so mm. yeah i think probably being so young you know 16 or whatever i was like that was the biggest thing but i had a really good working relationship with the guys at synergy so it didn't take too long for me to sort of mm. pass over that trust if that mm. makes sense was, um, jake, was jake parsons your teammate that year who was in your team yeah do you remember? yeah yeah jake yeah yeah so yeah, that was um that was good because he had a bit of experience for me to sort of latch onto and then like progress with. Mm. Um, so you know I had a good teammate to sort of compare, mm. and yeah, we sort of just uh, pulled each other along. You know, we'd obviously done a little bit of a testing program and everything, but you know we didn't necessarily have you know typical yeah. motorsport. We didn't have the budget <laughs> that some people had, so you didn't do as yeah. much testing as yeah. you could do. Yeah, and I remember the first round was at uh, with the national with Synergy was at Malala in South Australia. So you know, obviously it was a whole new <laughs> ball game for me. Um, and we went out, and I think we qualified in like the top ten, or we were just outside the top ten. So I was actually quite happy with that for my first um, first national race. And we got into like a first lap incident with somebody, um, but I still was able to keep on going. And I remember coming in and Cotter and, and that from the team, like they were so behind me. And they're like, oh, we'll, like, we'll go chat to them. We'll go to the park, of course. We'll do this. We'll do that. We'll do this. And I was like, yeah. okay, like, I feel stupid. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. like, all right, this is how it works. Okay, I get it. Um, yeah. and, I, and I probably needed that to happen for to feel like, okay, this is this is a team environment. Yes, they're not my family, but like I'm still their driver and they still support me and they'll back me and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, Nationals the first year was, yeah, it was tricky because, you know, everyone wants is out there to win it now. Like you, everyone has, you know, they put in big budgets. They, you know, at this point in time. So yeah, it was um, yeah a good learning ground. There was quite a lot of, for me, the first year didn't go too great in the sense of, you know, we ended up getting tangled up in accidents we probably didn't need to be tangled up in and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, it was the second year of nationals where everything started to really click. But yeah. unfortunately, like, we didn't get to sort of finish that year off. But, um, you know, that first half of the season was, yeah, my best. Yeah. Were you, were you like struggling to get sponsors or were you thinking of ways to try and finish that national season or did you project yourself onto like obviously Australian Formula 4, which you went to next? Yeah, we tried. Yeah, like, you know, obviously Cotter didn't want me to leave. I didn't necessarily want to just stop because it was, I feel like, you know, like second year of nationals is sort of when you actually make your most progression. And, you know, we were competing for top five positions and stuff like that. So, you know, I was feeling competitive and feeling good in the car but yeah you know it's 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 it is just what it is. What it, is, <laughs> it is what it is you know it's budget you know it's not obviously it's a very recognized championship but in regards to sponsors there's not a lot you can really give back in regards to media other other than the generic sponsorship type things and now when I look back 
at it, there's, you know, so much more that you can do. Um, the older I've gotten, the more you sort of understand how it all works. But, you know, I was young. It's not like my dad's area of expertise either. So we were sort of just trying our best to bring people on board. But yeah, we obviously just weren't doing a very good job at it. And then, yeah, and then the opportunity came about with F4. So, you know, instead how, of how was, racing- how was that for, um, obviously, people who got to see a brief stint of Formula 4? You were the only, obviously, the girl who's raced in you know, Formula Ford and F4, how was that though coming as a driver and just, you know, being in that controversial landscape as it was back then? Because obviously Formula Ford, Formula Ford was still around and they're putting yeah. all this stuff in the media and, you know, you're the only girl on the grid. So how was that for you? Did you get any pressure from that or did you just continue to just, you know, put your head down and just focus on a good result? Yeah, yeah there was a bit of pressure to be fair. Like I sort of got thrown into the deep end in a way because – you know, I was not planning to do F4. Like it was just, you know, one of those last minute things that genuinely out. And I, I, before the first race at Sandown, I'd literally just shaken down the car at an airfield. Like I hadn't actually done it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then we rock up at the first round and it was at Sandown. Yep. And obviously I'm not going to be at the front. You know, I have, they've, they've got half a season and testing underneath their belts. You know, I've literally just shaken this car down. So, yeah, we, we, I think I ended up qualifying like a second off the pace and we were like, um, so I was like, okay, that's not that bad. Like that's progression. Um, and then we finished six in the first race and things like that. So we were, yeah, we were moving forward, but, um, yeah, it was definitely a big, big step in a sense of getting the, like make getting the most out of the car, you know, as soon as you get to wings and slicks, like you realize the difference, you know, it's not, it's not that hard to be that far off, but it's, you know, it's getting those last last couple of tents, which makes, makes the difference um, and having the trust in the car. So, you know, obviously formula Ford, we didn't have that error or that grip. So it was getting used to then carrying those speeds through the corners and everything like that. So yeah, ultimately it was a good experience yeah, there was, there was definitely controversy, you know. As as there always is in motorsport. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you take the good with the bad, really. Um, yeah. It definitely, I think it opened up some team's eyes as to, like, I'm not just there to participate. You know, I want to compete. Sometimes people just want you to participate and just be a number in the pack, and it's not what I wanted to do. You know, I want... I want to be there to be competitive and to be good. Um, so, yeah, when I ended up doing it with Dream Motorsport with the Randall family, that was a huge, huge step forward in the progression for the last, uh, I think I only did two rounds with them. But, um, yeah, we did some bits and pieces together and it was good to learn off um, a family like that. Yeah, and Tommy obviously is obviously in supercars now. Did you learn a lot of him because he was like obviously a big superstar in karts? Did he? Did the Randall family help you a lot different? Because you were with AGI first, weren't you? Was it the difference? Yeah. yeah so you gone from a you gone from a, like a, a factory team essentially to a family team. So did you feel more at home? Is it, it was what you're saying at Dream? Yeah, a hundred percent. Definitely way more supported, um, and I felt like my best interest was at heart. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah, and yeah, Tom was great to learn off. Tom and Lewis, you know, obviously great drivers in their own rights, in their mm. own departments. And yeah, like you said, it was more family run. So I think, yeah, in that sense, I probably fitted in better. And they, you know, they treated me like teammates, which was what I'd always wanted for a long time. And, you know, you don't want to point yourself out, but sometimes that can be hard. Yeah. Being the only girl or whatever in the team, sometimes that can 
not happen. Um, yeah. So, yeah, they didn't. The nicest way, they didn't give a shit. They didn't care who I was. Yeah. Um, so that was like the best part about it. Yeah. yeah, so that made you more film more at home because you just they were yeah. just training you as just you know one of the one of the drivers, which is which is yeah. when you put a helmet on, is which is what, what a lot of people should listen to this podcast is, you know, no one knows who's driving the car at the end of the day when you put a helmet on. So that's good that that's good that the Randall family did that. So now going, you've done your your, your young um, rising star essentially program in Australia, and then what made the decision for you was it the W series that made you go overseas, or was it right engineering at the start? Yeah, it was um, right engineering. I was overseas um, two years or more before um, W Series even came on the on the radar. So yeah, yeah. Ultimately, we the F four thing. We obviously needed decent, but like good mm. budget to um, yeah. do it the next year, and we we got like a sponsored drive through Jayco to do those couple rounds, and that wasn't looking very promising to to carry on, and then. You know, it's that awkward ladder in Australia that I think is now sort of filled by um, the 86s. At the time, you know, it was sort of Formula Ford, F4, and then you either went to Super 2 or you went to Carrera Cup or mm. you did one of these, these. That's sort of like the progression. And yeah. the budget to do Formula Ford is a very big different budget to then doing Super 2 or, you know, Carrera Cup. So yeah. um, that was sort of the predicament we're in and Dad mm. and I, really weren't sure what to do we really didn't know like obviously we didn't have the budget for it I remember calling around loads of teams and being like you know how do we do it what's and then coming back to dad with all these budgets and we're sitting there being like okay we really need to find some partners yeah Um, and yeah and so I didn't intend to go to Europe I literally got an email from the team because they'd heard about me and um They said, you know, we're doing this junior program in Europe. Um, It will be in European GT4. It's in our new car. Mm. And that was predominantly what made it such a, you know, a cheaper drive, so to speak, is because they were trying to promote the new KTM GT4, uh, but hadn't been out for very long. So they're trying to get drivers and, you know, young drivers involved and get the results and everything like that. So, um, yeah, we looked at it and it was really reasonable for what it, like, for what you'd be doing, you're competing in the GT4 Championship in Europe, you race at Monza, Spa, um, all those sorts of historical circuits that as an Aussie, you're like, wow, okay, this is cool. Um, and, yeah, so I remember, like, I sat down with Dad and I was like, you know, what What do we do? Like, do I do it? Do I – is it mm. real? You know what I mean? Yeah, because you'd have enough if it's a scam or not, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we called, we called and we had loads of calls with the teams and everything and because the – what lured us to the cha- to this was the fact that if you won the scholarship or you won the championship, you'd then get a fully funded season in GT3 after. So there was actually a progression to help junior drivers. And I was like, well, shit, okay, if we did win this, then I actually have a season all mm. fully paid for in Europe. Yeah, and so we, we, we went for it. I moved to Germany by myself, you know. Dad took out a loan and sort of <laughs> put me over there. Um, and, you know, I didn't have anywhere to stay. I was just on, like, hotels and stuff like couches and stuff for a while and, yeah, yeah. started racing with the team. And we did we did well. And so I ended up winning that. And then that put me into GT3. So, um, yeah, it was pretty, pretty much a whirlwind of a year. But, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, weren't you hanging with from memory? This is a fact. Like, obviously, it's been so long time because of COVID and whatnot. But weren't you hanging out with one of the other German W Series drivers at the time just to get you know find your footing in Germany? Didn't, didn't yeah, you have a friendship? So, yeah, yeah. I um ended up moving in with Naomi. Uh, yeah, she was a driver 
um, mm. out there and only lived a couple minutes from the work workshop, writer engineering's workshop. So, yeah, she was kind enough to realise I didn't really have anywhere to stay and she's like, oh, I'll have a spare room. Why don't you stay with me? And, yeah, okay. and then that sparked up a really, really nice friendship. Yeah, and so for, for when you were in Germany, did you – did you acclimatize quickly? Did you get used to the team? And do you remember your teammates back then, like in your first year? Um, yeah, it was obviously really different because, you know, they're a German team. So mm. their main language is German and then they would speak English to me, um, obviously. Otherwise, mm. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be doing it. Um, yeah. So yeah, obvi- yeah, there was the language barrier, which was after a while, once you've been there and you, you get to know people and, and get to know how good their English is and everything like that. You have a good working relationship. Um, yeah, I spent a lot of time, a lot of time, sorry, at mm. the workshop and just getting to know everybody and taking the time to work yeah. with them, help them out as best I could. But um, yeah, that season uh, I sort of didn't have a consistent teammate, so I had um, quite a few different teammates <laughs> throughout yeah. the season of 2016. So yeah, definitely made life interesting, but yeah, made it fun. Yeah, and around then, didn't you bring didn't the, the X-Wing come to the Bathurst 12 hour? Was that around, was that 2017 or 2018? I'm not quite sure. Was, yeah, did, Didn't you come back with uh, Wonder Engineering? Yeah, back here? Yes, I did. Yeah. I did. It was 2018 and 2019 because mm. it always feels like the previous year because it's at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, plus yeah, COVID because so, yeah. we did nothing for two, for two years I essentially. Know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was obviously a big, big dream tick of mine to do the 12 hour. Um, mm. And yeah, that all sort of came available through KTM. Um, yeah. So the first time we came out, obviously I was driving with M Motorsport um, with McMillan and everything and with Dave Crampton. Mm. So yeah, really, really cool experience to say that we've, you know, we've done the 12 hour. Um, our first shot at it wasn't that, wasn't that great, but our second go was really, really successful. Um, and, you know, we were, En route for a very good finish in GT4, 1-2 at the beginning of 2019. But unfortunately, our, our engine didn't want to survive for the full race. So, yeah, with half an hour to go, it um, <laughs> went. It was quite devastating, to be fair. Yeah. Um, you've made it that long and you're on for a 1-2. So, yeah, it was, um, <laughs> it was quite devastating. Yeah. Well, how was it? How was it though? Like racing at the Bathurst 12 hour? Cause a lot of drivers, even just in Australia, who can't make supercars aspire to be in that race. What was it like? Just the atmosphere and the, you know, the, were you overwhelmed at any stage? Did you get any big nerves? Cause you're at the 12 hour or did you just have like a, like a waiver, like a, a sportsman's mindset to get the race done and connect with your teammates? Cause not many drivers, to be honest, do many endurance races. Like there's only a certain amount of drivers who get to do endurance racing in motorsport. So how was that? for you as a young driver? Yeah, it was really cool. I, I like got, I got hooked on endurance racing as soon as I did the 24 hours of Dubai. I did that at the beginning of 2017. And then after that, I was like, God, I want to do more of this. And yeah, I've, the next option became the 12 hours. So obviously we jumped at it. And yeah, the first time I did it, sitting in like the driver's briefing, that was a bit surreal. Because mm. um, Obviously, it's all drivers I've grown up watching on telly, you know what I mean? So, you yeah. know, you've got Lowry in there, you had Winkop in there, you know, you had all, all the names that were then competing for the, you know, the factory-backed manufactured teams. And then all the international drivers that since sort of going overseas, I'd started to follow their careers and follow their progress and, you know, factory drivers that are paid by manufacturers to that, that's their job. Mm. Um, so yeah, obviously it's, it's a really cool experience and a really cool race to be a part of that. 
yeah, I remember after my first driver's briefing, Garth Tander came up and spoke to me because obviously we were like, yeah, yeah, through the end. And, um, you know, we were chatting about it all and I'm like, okay, this, this is nice. This is cool. This is not what I expected. Um, yeah. And yeah, yeah, you did have to put your head down um, mm. when you're on track. So, you know, you were, a sl- you were the slower car in comparison to the GT3s. Um, and you can't necessarily get out of their way at Bathurst. There isn't a lot of, a lot of space for that. Yeah. So you, they had to be respectful of you as much as you had to be respectful of them, but they definitely weren't afraid to give you a nudge if you got in the way. So um, I liked that. I loved that. I thought that was extremely <laughs> exhilarating. Um, you know, so yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I really, really enjoyed um, the 12 hours. Yeah, I feel you on that part with the slower car around Bathurst because I did one Bathurst six hour in a Suzuki Swift and I was getting monstered by VA Holden Commodores and <laughs> you're yeah. just freaking out, put down the mat. You're like, oh, I just want to get to Conrad straight so I can move out of the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, you were talking about the Dubai 24 hour, which I, we, I skipped because we're Australian, went to Bathurst. How was that racing in Dubai? Because Dubai is just a total different realm. And obviously they've got different, you know, with the females there, was there any... Was there any ways getting? Is there any sort of thing what happens in Dubai with females with sports or anything, or they actually were they quite lenient? Yeah, they were. It was fine. Like Mm. in regards to motorsport, obviously there was. It's quite a big event, so I wasn't. You know, thankfully I wasn't the only female involved in the whole twenty-four hour race. So yeah, there was quite a couple um, drivers that were involved. Uh, Yeah, for the event itself, you know, I like I said, I thoroughly enjoyed it. The atmosphere and the you know, just the like dedication it takes for the team to get through 24 hours of it. You know, I remember I couldn't sleep. Everyone was like, Kaylin, go do your sleep. Like, go sleep. I was like, yeah. I can't sleep. Like, they were <laughs> Too just excited. go away. Yeah, just go away and lay down for a bit. And I think I ended up sleeping like one hour. But yeah, it, it was just, it was a really cool experience. We obviously didn't have the greatest results because my teammate had an accident. So that obviously put us out of contention because I had to fix the car throughout the night. But yeah, just the experience to do that and sort of have a 24-hour race under my belt was really, really interesting. Um, and obviously, like I said, opened my eyes up to the endurance world and actually how it all works and how many variables come into play. And, you know, it just becomes... It's just like any motorsport, doesn't it? It just mm. sort of gets under your skin and you're like, God, I want to keep – I like that. I really like that. That gets – it gets addictive. So, um, yeah. yeah. In regards to, like, Dubai itself, I only had one moment where I felt quite uncomfortable being a woman. Um, mm. And, uh, yeah, it was just because I locked myself out of my room yeah. and I was where uh, – because I'd been to the gym and I was wearing a singlet and shorts – which you can do in the hotel, but as yeah. soon as you get outside the hotel, that's like a no-go for women. Well, it was at that point. Yeah, um, okay. yeah, so, yeah, I went down to the lobby and, yeah, there was um, loads of people there and, yeah, yeah the people behind the desk were like, Caitlin, like, uh, just be, don't wear that outside. I was like, I'm not. I just <laughs> locked myself out of the room. I just yeah, wow. Into the gym. Yeah. Yeah, so, but that, that was – you, you know, it, it's, you just got to respect their culture as well. Mm. I think that's like the biggest thing. It's, you know, we are very, uh, not. I don't know what the right word is, but I think mm. maybe we're not like that cultured sometimes like us as Westerners and, you know, you respect their culture and what they believe in and everything like that. I, I never, never had a problem in, in any of that sense. 
Mm. I want to get across away from car racing for a bit. How did you actually meet your boyfriend? Because you're living with him in the UK now. But how did that all come about? Was it via like a dating app or anything like that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how did that um, story happen? Yeah, that's a funny <laughs> question. Uh, no, I met Matt through work. So he's okay. also involved in motorsport. Yeah, I, I've just met him a couple of years ago through, uh, yeah, through the industry, really. Uh, yeah. He grew up doing a lot of karting. He did a lot of professional karting here in Europe. He drove for Marinello and, yeah, did, you know, all the international karting that Aussies look over and be like, okay, well, that's pretty cool. So, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, our paths crossed and obviously we clicked and we got on and yeah, we ended up getting married and we uh, have our like our official wedding because of COVID and everything um, at the end of this year. But yeah, it's been good. You know, I always say this, not always say this, but I think, you know, it's been a really important part, piece of the puzzle, I guess, because I, I probably wouldn't have stuck it out so long over here if I didn't feel like I had my own family or my own network and everything like that so you know I think meeting Matt was probably a blessing in disguise to just sort of help me feel like you know I do belong over here as well yeah does he help you behind the scenes because of his karting background just psych you in for your next race and stuff like that is he still very supportive in that sense yeah, he's very, very supportive. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's good. It's really good. We have two very different mindsets. So yeah. sometimes he can definitely pull me out of one mindset and be like, no, no, this is how you should be thinking. Um, yeah, we're two very, very different drivers um, mm. with very different approaches. So we can clash heads sometimes, but, um, you know, having him there as someone who understands what you're going through or what you may be feeling if, something goes wrong or yeah, it isn't working out, I think was really helpful. And, you know, cause that happens quite a lot more often than you actually get good results sometimes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just having that person there to understand and really, yeah, know what you mean and, and help you out in the different ways. Matt's very good at engineering and mechanic and, and everything like that. So it's just having that support to be like um, as an all rounder really. Yeah, is he from the UK? He's from the UK, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he's he's um yeah he's British. Yeah, yeah. You've obviously picked up a bit of that British accent. You've lived over there I know. for a while. <laughs> yeah. Everyone said, like, yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't recognize it, but everyone sort of sort yeah. of says that, and then uh, and then I'll listen to myself back, uh, like listen to a podcast or an interview, and I'll be like, oh, I hear it now, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Only he heard me when I was fifteen years old. He would have been blown away. <laughs> I remember you back then because we were racing at. I was racing at Newcastle at the same time. That's all I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I'm yeah. <laughs> um, obviously, when you were, um, he was racing carts, and have you guys decided to because you've karting backgrounds? Have you decided to buy carts yourself just for fun, or are you just sticking to the car racing route because it's so expensive now these days? Uh, that's actually a really good question, and that's really funny, actually, because where in 2019 when I was doing W Series, mm. we didn't really have like, you know, F3 is a whole different level as well, so we didn't really yeah. have budget to go testing or too much or anything like that. So um, we ended up getting a, a go kart, and we ended up getting a KZ. And yeah. That's okay. Sort of- <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. So I, we still have that in our workshop, and we go out in it every now and again, and um, yeah, have some fun. So yeah, that's our little, you know, 
pocket of sunshine or whatever you want to call it because I'd never driven a KZ before um, and Matt's like well you know all the F1 drivers use them to prepare themselves because they're so quick and the reactions and they're so grippy like it's probably one of the closest things you're going to get other than testing like the real thing so yeah we did we uh yeah we went and we had some fun in the go-kart again so that was really fun and I always have the biggest smile on my face every time we take that machine out um yeah it was cool what was your local go-kart track over there? I actually haven't done a lot of go-kart circuits over here, obviously, because yeah. I'd make the progression to cars. Yeah. But the one that we go to the most is called Wilton Mill. Um, yep. It's about an hour away. Yeah, it's got really quite a long straight, um, which is nice for the KZ. Uh, but it's, yeah, it's quite technical. It's a bit bumpy. So it definitely gives your ribs a good a good yeah. beating as well. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Super GT, YouTuber? He, he, I think that's his local track. Oh, he, okay. No, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, Steve. Cool. Yeah, Steve. Actually, I'll just it's just random. Yeah, Steve. That's that's how I know that track, Wilton Mill. That's his favourite track. So I just thought you may have seen him or not, but obviously not because you focus on your car racing career. But yeah, so back to you, back to your cars after that. Um, you obviously got into as you were talking about the W series. How was that when getting? You've talking of obviously in other media and other podcasts about it. Um, the whole selection process because they obviously brought a few of the girls over from Australia. So how did that? whole selection process work before you got into your, the further years in the W series? Yeah, it was just a really big selection process, I guess is, you know, the best way to describe it. You know, when it first came out, we all, I think we all weren't sure like if this was real or not, because it's such a big thing to fund and, you know, it turned out it was, so that was really cool. But yeah, they ended up picking, I think there was 70 or 70 something women from around the world with racing experience, obviously, you know, some from single seater backgrounds, some from GT backgrounds, some from karting backgrounds, but, you know, had all competed at, you know, substantial international level because that was obviously you had to have an international race license. And yeah, and took us all to Melk in Austria. And that's where we did the selection process. I remember it was like February time, so it was snowing and raining and cold and icy so that was definitely um a whole new experience for us Aussies <laughs> we don't really get that a lot and yeah. yeah we did loads of different testing obviously the in-car stuff was like car control stuff obviously setting times slaloms uh you know all that sort of stuff they put you through your paces so to speak and then on the last day we did race champions mm. and yeah we did media testing fitness testing all that sort of stuff. So I think they had a very overall view of where you were as a driver and as an athlete um, to sort of either help your progression or tell you where, you know, if you want to pursue this, maybe you need to work on this, 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 and this, and then come back. Um, mm. That's sort of the gist I got of how it all worked. Um, but yeah, thankfully I obviously did well. Um, I really enjoyed the race of champions on the last day. It was a knockout system. So I knocked quite a few big names out, which made me feel good, made me feel <laughs> like I did something fun. And yeah, ended up like right at the finals. So yeah, I ended up go, going through um, to the next round, which was then to actually drive the F3 cars. And mm. that was in Almeria in Spain. So a lot nicer weather, a lot more what I'm used to. Yeah. And uh yeah, and then I, obviously I, I did well there as well to gain a position um, on the actual grid in 2019. So, yeah, it was um, a really cool, like that whole selection process was really cool and very thought out uh, as to how they were going to find those mm. drivers to make it as fair as possible. And, um, yeah, really cool to meet so many women from around the world who all share the same the same yeah. passion. 
and it all came to a hub and you all goes, have, have, do, you all, do all the grid only keep in contact? Do you have, like have a WhatsApp group with any of them or, you, <laughs> or do you just stick to yourselves and just Instagram message or phone, give each other a phone call every now and then? Are you still all close from 2019 or not really? Like the girls that obviously that you raced with? More or less, yeah. yeah. Like I don't, yeah, from the from the 2019 group, like, yeah, we did, surprisingly, we did have a WhatsApp group. <laughs> all in it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, like uh, it was, it was a bizarre, that was like one of the most bizarre relationships, I guess you could say, that you didn't think you would have in motorsport. Mm. You know what I mean? Like most of the time if you're a woman in motorsport, you're compared to other women in motorsport, yeah. aren't you? because that's yeah. who you compare, that's who, like, the media compare you against. So yeah. then you've been put up against, you know, 18 or 19 other women to all race in the same car. So I think that everyone expected that it would probably be maybe a bit bitchier or a bit yeah, uh, yeah, not yeah. a nice environment, but yeah. it actually it actually turned out to be quite all right. Like, we had, we had to get along with one another, if that makes sense. You know, we had to do media. We had to do all these things. We were living in each other's pockets. So if you did have an issue with someone, then it, it made life really hard. And, yeah, okay, I don't, like I said, I keep myself to myself. I'm not going to like everybody and yeah. not everyone's going to like me, and that's <laughs> absolutely fine. I don't mind. Yeah. But, um, yeah, there was obviously respect there. So if you had an issue with someone, you addressed it, you talked about it, and then you just moved on. Um, so, yeah, I can definitely respect everyone's um, attitude yeah. towards like, that season. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of people have said in the media that, that the W Series cars and the F3 cars um, look the same, but they're actually quite different. Can you explain to the listeners the difference between the cars, what they're doing in the F3 to the W Series, and what would happen, say, if you or Jamie got into the F3 Series? What, what's the difference between the cars that would help the, the, the W Series girls, you know, find a pathway through F3 and F2? Yeah, it's a really good question because obviously in 2021, we were competing uh, alongside Formula One, so that meant we were you know, on the same race weekends as FIA, F3 and everything like that. So there is quite a big difference between the W Series F3 cars and then FIA F3, for example. So the W Series F3 car is obviously the Tata chassis T318 with the Alpha engine, and it roughly runs around 270 brake uh, horsepower. So it's the same chassis and car that's used in Asia F3 um, and in Formula Regional Europe. Uh, So it's like the regional car. Uh, and so I think, yeah, there was a bit of misconception. It's still an F3 car, but it's not an FIA F3 car. So mm. when we obviously were competing on the same weekends, yes, our cars are going to be significantly slower because then you take the step up into FIA F3. And as far as I'm aware, they have like 370 brake. Obviously, they have way more aero. Um, and it's definitely a big step up towards mm. the F1 route. So on average, they are quite a few, like a couple seconds quicker than us overall lap. Um, which is obviously expected given the differences. So, yeah, the best categories to compare our car to, because it literally runs in those championships, is um, F3 Asia and Formula Regional. Uh, so, yeah, that's probably the main the main differences. And, yeah, I, I definitely feel we will see progression of some of these girls or women into FIA F3 at some point. When? I, I don't know. But, um, yeah, hopefully we're, we're getting there. Yeah. Now, I missed a few classes that you did. You actually raced in the Lamborghini, I think the Trofeo series, is that what it's called? The Lamborghini? Yeah, yeah. How was that yeah. racing? How was rat racing in the Lamborghini 
series because those are mad cars and every you know young girl or young bloke listening to this would love to race a lamborghini or even drive one on the road so how was that for like you know a like a, a young 20 year old girl like yourself or 19 at the time or 18 at the time hopping into one of those cars going like holy shit i'm driving a lamborghini you know for a certain yeah. amount of races how was that were you overwhelmed or just excited what was your your feelings hopping into that racing series yeah i definitely was obviously overwhelmed and excited and everything really like considering you know how did it go 2016 was gt4 and then 2017 was gt3 in the yeah in the lambo gallardo was writer uh and yeah it was just such a whirlwind i don't know how else to explain it it's like one yeah. time i'm doing gt4 and then the next it's like okay we're doing gt3 now and you know that was in blompol with other gt3 drivers and you know they are those factory drivers that i was talking about coming back from bathurst that you know, obviously very, very good at what they do. So it was definitely a really great development year for me, really big eye-opener, thoroughly enjoyed it. The car was amazing, you know, racing GT3 machinery. Yeah, we finished on the podium in our class Silver Cup at Mazzano in Italy. So that was obviously a nice little thing to take from from the year. But yeah, and then, uh, and then after that, that's when I did Super Trofeo. I did a couple rounds and we did that at Monza, Silverstone. And then we did the Nürburgring GP later on in the year so yeah it was the super trofeo was mega because it was like the updated lamborghini it was the hurricane at this point in time it was extremely new so yeah i again that was like a you know another pinch me moment another move and step forward with with lambo with hurricane and everything um yeah amazing cars and really cool environments to to be around but Obviously, motorsport is extremely expensive, and to sort of stay in that environment, we needed we needed more partners and sponsors and things like that. So you know, I wasn't able to stay in that yeah. paddock for. As <laughs> Looks like you're trying to focus because I think Matt's making breakfast in the background. Is yeah. that true? He <laughs> <laughs> can come on the shot. It's all right. He's for a YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that was that's that's quite good about the Lamborghini. That that is exciting. Obviously, it's ex- it, motorsport is expensive in general. Um, that's why myself didn't go on to doing other stuff than Formula Ford. So I totally appreciate what you've done for women in motorsport. Is there any advice that you could get give like a young girl who's in the go karting scene or just listening to this podcast that could aspire to be someone like yourself? Yeah, you know it it, it is really tricky. I obviously get asked this a bit and. Mm. Um, you know, I've said it multiple times, you have to want it. Like you have to really, really want it. You know, you have to want to sacrifice those things and, and you have to really enjoy it because if you don't enjoy it, then obviously there's, there's no point. If it doesn't put a smile on your face or it, you don't get that enjoyment from it, then you've got to reassess why you, why you're doing it. So yeah, that was a really big thing that I had to sort of you know, there's always hurdles in your career. And that was definitely one of mine is like, I'm putting so much pressure on myself and I'm doing all of this, but am I actually enjoying myself? So I had to really take a step back and be like, no, I, this is what I want to do. But if I don't enjoy it, then what's the point? You know, I've sacrificed all this stuff. So yeah, for the, for the young girls out there, you know, just, um, just keep pushing, like don't take no for an answer, know your worth, you know, be smart, research, uh, you know, do your homework, all that sort of stuff. Have the, you know, the dedication to sort of be smarter than your teammates. Um, yeah. Get get a good team around you. You know, you, you're never going to win a race on your own. And that's something that I feel like I have really 
appreciated over my career and trying to, when I do join a team, really trying to get them around me and want to work towards the same goal. That's really important. And yeah, just enjoy it. Like, you know, you don't want to be, you don't want to be me. You want to be, you want to be spectacular. You know, you want to be the next best. Um, yeah. you know, don't use me as a benchmark. Like, yeah, <laughs> you, know, you can be better than Caitlin Wood, and uh, yeah. you know I'm obviously just trying to be better than her every day. Yeah, what's your what's your aspiring goals? Obviously, car racing can go for so long with budget. Do you have any other goals around motorsport or any sort of what do you do? You have any future goals in mind? Like once you hang up the helmet, I suppose. Do you have any other goals outside of motorsport or anything like that? Yeah, it's a really good question. Uh, I don't plan on hanging up the helmet anytime no. soon. You know, I have multiple, multiple of goals. Not. Yeah. yeah, but I want to achieve, you know, I, yeah. I want to do it on. I want to be I want to be the first woman to win it. I want to be Aussie woman to do well at it. Uh mm. yeah, so that's on the radar. This year I will be um competing in the endurance championship of Nürburgring, uh so the NLS, Nürburgring Nordschleife. Um mm. so that's really cool stepping stone. Mm. Uh sort of keep going down that endurance route. And yeah, outside of racing, you know, we sort of live and breathe motorsports. So when I'm not at a racetrack racing, I'm at a racetrack working. Um, yeah. Yeah, we, we recently built our own BMW race car, E90, uh, uh, me and Matt. And, mm. yeah, we rent that out to people to either race or like at club level or to um, – to do one-to-one coaching with ourselves. Uh, so yeah, I'm really enjoying that side of things and helping people out and help their progression. Mm. I think a, like a nice goal of mine in the future, like future, future would to be have like to have my own development program um, yep. to, to help not just girls, but you know, mm. everyone um, in those tricky situations that come to a crossroads in their career that they don't really know which path to go down or completely, complete newbies um, and try and get them into motorsport uh, in a in a way that is achievable. I think yeah. these days people yeah. take the piss a bit trying to make money, all that yeah. sort of stuff. So, yeah. Um, yeah, just trying to give back to what a sport that sort of gave me quite a lot really. Yeah. We're talk- you were talking about, yeah, obviously I was going to get to the end of the the podcast with the 24 hour racing. So how, how did that all come about from, is that still with writer engineering or is that with another team? Uh, no. So yeah, it won't be with writer. Um, mm-hmm. I am, will be with another team um, around the Nordschleife. So for anyone that sort of knows the Nürburgring, obviously it's um, pretty, uh, pretty famous circuit. Uh, it's over 20 kilometers long. So your lap times are, you know, eight minutes or something. Uh, so it definitely adds something spectacular to uh, your racing. And uh, yeah, so we'll be, I'll be doing competing in um, some of the NLS championship, which is what they call it, formerly known as VLN. Yeah. And um, yeah, they're roughly three or six hour races long with the big 24 hour race in the middle of the year. I'm still not sure if I'll be doing the 24 hour just yet. Obviously, fingers crossed, that's definitely a big bucket list tick for me to be able to achieve but yeah we're just trying to do one step at a time and keep me in the endurance route keep me moving forward well caitlin thanks for coming on the podcast and i really appreciate you coming on all the way from the uk there was a few zoom difficulties for the people listening but um i really appreciate it thanks caitlin no worries thanks for having me 
Thanks for listening to On The Couch With Hooli. If you enjoyed this podcast, make sure to leave us a rating on Apple or Spotify.